Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guest is Tony Zonka. He is a Reiki master, a spiritual and meditation mentor, and author of The Journey of Truth, Chronicles of a Peaceful Warrior, a story of spiritual awakening, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Tony, welcome to the program. Hey, Johnny, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to our chat today and you know, uh, also, you know, having a chance to reach out to your viewers over at Closer to Venus. This is going to be a blast. What inspired the Peaceful Warrior in the title? That's a good question. Peaceful Warrior first came to me through my Reiki master. It was a name and a, a title that she kind of gave me. It also happens to tie into a past life experience of mine. There was a connection there. I wanted to kind of give the essence that that's why I use Chronicles of a Peaceful Warrior as the subtitle. It's a true story. It, it's, it's telling events that took place. So I just felt that going back to that lineage and as an ode to her as well, it was just the, the right place to start. The book, The Journey of Truth, that's actually based on your true life, is it not? Yes, that's correct. It is a reflection of my spiritual journey in sharing what is laid out in my life experiences. Now, you'll notice that in the book, the character's name is Ray. I did this purposefully because I wanted to deflect the focus off of me or I. These are words, particularly I, that are of the ego. And I didn't want to reflect that in what was being shared and written. So I did it in a third-person perspective through the eyes of Ray, if you will. Ray was kind of chosen for two reasons. Raymond's my middle name, so it kind of still reflects me personally using Ray. But perhaps more importantly, it also represents, at least to me, maybe subtly, uh, subconsciously to the reader. Ray of hope. Ray of hope, exactly. You knew where I was going, you read my mind. It makes it more of a story about you and me and we rather than I. So the third person perspective makes it easier for you to tell the story. Maybe it might be a little bit more impactful. I don't know. I think more impactful. As the writer, I don't think it made it easier. As I'm speaking now, didn't want the book to be, I experienced this, and then I, 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 because then it put a focus on me, where I believe in doing such, it puts the focus more on the message than the person who's delivering it. Speaking of messages, you had a near-death experience um, as a child. I think you were seven? Yeah, yeah, correct. What was that like? I'll tell you the story first, and I'll give you more of the experience. I was, yes, about seven years old and uh, having a sleepover at my grandmother's house, who I refer to as Granny. Everything was fine. It was a normal sleepover, a wonderful day. We had some fun, and I went to bed. And suddenly late, well, it depends how your perspective, it's, it was about three, four in the morning. I woke up choking, couldn't breathe, literally kind of sat up and was just grasping at my throat to the point where I struggled even to call out words or to call for help. Somehow she must have heard me. Now consider, I kept blacking out in between moments that I remembered. So I can recall that moment. I recall a moment where I could tell I was wrapped in a blanket. She was carrying me in her arms, running me to the car. And then the last moment I remember was being on a gurney, being rushed into the emergency room, nurses around me, doctors, all the masks and hats and, and everything. And the unique thing that, that I'll always remember is looking up at the doctor. I could understand what he was yelling out, but in a moment, our eyes connected it and, and it's always stuck with me. It almost seems like it was a span of time longer than the moment. And I was momentarily gone. And they performed an emergency tracheotomy with tubes down my throat. I still have a little scar back in here, right here where it's done. Resuscitated me. 
Now, for me personally, there was no experience of, you know, white lights coming to me or crossing a bridge or any of the things that we often, no tunnel, no, none of that. But a few moments, the proof or end results of that came shortly after. But really, the reconnection in those moments really set the stage for me and my life and my journey to come. I think it's fascinating to see how the divine works so subtly. You know, we often talk about how we may not know what the gift is in the moment, but that gift may be revealed days, weeks, years to come. I was in a, a bubble for, you know, germs and, and whatnot. And they had my arms taped because I was a young kid. They didn't want me touching my throat, but I couldn't even touch my face. My hands could go about here. I was in for about a week and through the entire week period, I had these very unique sensations on the left and right side of my cheeks constantly. It wasn't quite an itching. It wasn't a tickling. It was almost like a vibrational sensation. But I constantly kept asking anybody that was in the room to scratch my face, scratch my nose, scratch my cheek. It was just like constant. And even in being scratched, it wouldn't go away. That was the sign that, as I referred to, angel guides, spirit guides, the divine was with me. Now you're reading my mind because I was just about to ask you that question. One of the telltale signs of your guides or your angels, whatever you want to call them, is the tingling is one of the most common. During that time, that experience, were you cognizant of the fact that they were spirit guides or did you figure that out much later? That's exactly what it was, Johnny. That was something that came back to me much later in life. It was almost like one of those aha moments where in meditating and whatnot, as I started to be able to connect more with those on the other side, those, as I like to refer to it, who are in our home, our natural place, you know, where we reside, they became my tells. Left side represents for me more of the angel spirit. Right side for me represents the guide spirit. And I differentiate them slightly because from what I've been given to learn to understand, there is a difference between angels and spirit guide. That's what I've been told. I'm not the authority in the subject, but it's the first time I've heard it described as left side, right side, as in analytical person, artistic person. Is there some kind of symmetry there or is it something completely different? I don't know if there's any symmetry there. And actually, it's an interesting thought and comment because I've never thought of left brain, right brain. Right. kind of thing, association. The difference between an angel and a spirit guide or an angel guide is angels, and, and they, they focus on different areas because of their experience. Angels, as I've come to know it, are soul beings just like us, energy beings and whatnot, but they have never had an incarnation in the human life. The angels. Correct. The angels. Right. The spirit yes. guides were previously human, but they... Yeah. Yes. Climbed up the ascension ladder and they've reached that designation where the home office basically said, well, you can go back there if you want to, but you don't really need to. Yeah. yeah. In a manner of in speaking. In a manner of speaking, the home <laughs> office. I like that. Yeah, they, they got the memo. And, and therefore, it gives them different perspectives. I just find it all so fascinating and really confirming. Right. And I just thought of something that being aware of that gives us a goal to kind of work towards. Okay, so great. If I step off the wheel of karma and step onto the wheel of grace or the wheel of love or whatever you want to call it and ascend, what's the end game? I could eventually become a spirit guide or a member of the council. It might take a hundred lifetimes to get there. Speaking of lifetimes, once you went through this, and I, I know that you were a kid back then, but was there an impact on your beliefs on reincarnation or and past lives? 
or did that come later? It did set the stage for things to come. And maybe on an unconscious level, there, there was some understanding. But for me, it was like taking a banana and peeling off one portion of the banana at a time as it unfolded to me. My next experience came at around age 11. I was, you know, young kid at the neighborhood public pool playing hoops with my friends, took a dive in the pool, cooled off. It was one of those perfect, like 85 degrees, sunny days, not a care in the world. And I mentioned that part of it because I, I think it's part of what drew me to the moment. It's I was in a state of euphoria as a kid. It was just a perfect day. After the swim, laid down the towel all over the grass and just kind of laid down, closed my eyes and was you know, going to dry off in the warm sun. Suddenly, spontaneously, I started to receive a vision, not as much visual, but audible in that there was a voice that was not my own that was sending me information. And it came and started with the thought in my mind of if I was to create my own religion, it would be. And then all these thoughts started coming through me. Now, keep in mind, I had no influence to any of this. I was raised a uh, Roman Catholic, a uh, very traditional religious, spiritual upbringing. But I started having thoughts of, I didn't even probably know the name for it at the time, but reincarnation of like, oh, I could have lived before and I'll live again and it's all going to impact together and things like karma and the ego and, and all of these thoughts that, again, later in my life, like how we talked about, I remember thinking back on, wow, everything I thought of then is now what I've learned to rediscover now. The first hints of that were when you were about 11 years old. Exactly. Right after you got done playing hoops. and Yeah, and laying on the grass yeah. in the warm sun. And I always remember the moment in that when I laid there, and I think we can all relate to this, although as a child, I had no frame of reference. One of the first things I woke up kind of in a haze a, a, a little bit, and I looked around and I was like, has anybody else, did they know what, what happened here? Everything still seems normal around me, although I didn't feel quite the same for a little while. I remember thinking it felt like only a few moments of time, but it felt like an eternity of time within You'd have to actually go through the experience because as far as I've heard, these experiences have some kind of a crossover where time stops being linear, but the rest of us have to just try to imagine that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm referring to. I mean, sometimes I think those who practice meditation, you can meditate for a half an hour, 20 minutes, but it can just seem like you're really in a, a space where time kind of stops being as linear in your own world uh, of connection. Think of it this way. When we go to sleep for our conscious mind, time ceases to exist. Also think, though, in a relationship when we have a dream, time almost works on a hyperspeed or sometimes can work very slowly depending on the dream. Or it's not really an element. It's almost like you're in a state of suspension. Yeah. Where then it, it starts to make a little bit more sense. You had mentioned before that magical phrase, why are we here? Mm -hmm. When was the first point in your earlier life where you really got a sense of exactly why are we here? Was it when you're much younger or did it happen later? It came together later. You know, I talked about these experiences the last one at 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think this may be common for some, but it had an impact. It was embedded in me. But at the same time, I was 11 years old. And by the time I was like 13, 14, I started thinking about girls and that's, sports that's, yep. and making the football team. And, and our focus alters through childhood and into the teen years. It wasn't until probably my mid-20s where I really started going back to, as a kid, when I was being taught, you know, six, seven, eight years old, the, the Christian values, the Catholic values, 
lot of it I questioned. It didn't feel right in my soul. You know, I was told that, for instance, if you're not a Catholic, you don't go to heaven. And I'd be like, well, how does my friend Johnny not go to heaven? He's a nice person. That was Catholic too, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to CCD. So did I. Yes, yes. Lots in common. What was the devil? He sounded like something more of a movie character that was a, a monster that would chase after you. So in my 20s is when it, I really started to circle back to why are we here? Who are we? And wanting to know. So you bring up a really good point about the church, because as many of us who grew up in the Northeast, I thought everybody went to church. Every kid went to CCD after school and so on. And I, I liked a lot of it because when you think about it, going to church is like meditating for some people. But I guess at what point do most people start to think, wait a minute, what you just told me about if you're not Catholic or if you don't, for instance, give your life to Jesus, you go to hell, you're not saved. It seems like it happened pretty early for you, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. Probably seven, eight years old, I was already questioning these things because, again, it didn't feel like it resonated with me. I had a conflict with what I considered the conflicts in what was taught. I was taught God is a loving God, but we must fear him. <laughs> that in itself is a contradictory in, 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 in statement. Right. And when an eight-year-old starts to think, what's wrong with this picture? You know, there's an issue. We know what it is. It's probably a discussion for another day. But, you know, when we talk about these kind of issues, we know pretty much right away that it basically is in conflict with what we were taught when we were younger, when we went to Mass and when we went to CCD and we would ask questions about reincarnation and the nun would look at us with almost like a dirty look and or ignore us completely. So how do we reconcile the new information, the new understanding with our Catholic or otherwise religious upbringing. Hmm, that's interesting. I think a short answer, what my spirituality is, I would say I'm a new age Christian Buddhist. I take a, It's a melding pot. You're taking what works for you, obviously. Right. In, in the journey of truth, I quote Bible verses because I still find, you know, there is some value there. I don't throw it all away, but I put aside what just doesn't resonate. I also quote Buddha. I, I think there is no need to do away with anything other than anything that doesn't bring you closer to spirit, to God, to the divine. Mm -hmm. Much like the world, it's a melting pot. Why can't my beliefs be as well? I agree. I'm not sure who actually quoted this. When we talk about different religions and the path to the divine, to God, if you want to call it that, there are many roads that lead to the same destination. Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, Jainism, and so on. As long as you try to get to the divine and you notice that the three things that are the most important are love, compassion, and forgiveness, you're probably going to get there eventually. Yeah. Reincarnation. I've had this discussion with my Christian and sometimes hardcore Christian friends where they think it's interesting, but they're not really open to it because their pastor doesn't talk about it. Some Christians, Catholics, they pretty much reject it. So for those people that accept Buddhism, that brings up the thorny issue of karma. Mm -hmm. What is your experience taught you about karma, what you didn't already know? I'm really excited to share with that, but you mentioned, and, and I just want to add one last flavor to the previous conversation. Sure. When you're talking about Christians having trouble grasping the idea of reincarnation. To me, it's a really simple thing if you open your heart and mind. They believe, yes, they come here. They believe that when we die, we move on. If we are good people, we go to heaven or what have you. Mm -hmm. If you can do it once, why can't you do it a second, third or fourth or so on time? I think it's understood by many people that the Bible does have a lot of good information. 
but it's also the subject of the longest running phone game in recorded history because a lot of the information got lost in translation or misinterpreted going from what is it Aramaic to Greek to Hebrew to English and or some variation uh, of that so yeah and even just the uh, translators personal influence would sometimes adjust we'll say I'm not gonna say it was done maliciously Right. But it will adjust the perspective. And, and words are subtle things that have great meanings. For my Christian friends, that's the hardest subject to try to get them to overcome, is what you're reading. Everything isn't exactly the word of Jesus. Very good point. People that go to a local mega church here in South Florida, they seem to accept everything they're told is absolute truth. And I'm thinking, did you ever read about how the Council of Constantine, correct me if I'm wrong, at some point about 17, 1800 years ago, made two stacks of books, the books they liked of the Bible and the books they didn't like and the ones they didn't like, they just kind of threw them away. So what else did they leave out? A lot of these people that I know of have no idea that that's not what they are taught in Bible study. That's confusing to me. I knew that years ago. But that's for them to overcome, though. They have to do the research. They have to dig deep. And some of them are just, I think, complacent to stay in that bubble. It's safe. Yeah. Didn't Karl Marx once make a remark that religion is the opiate of the masses? Yeah. Good recall. <laughs> yeah. I went to a Catholic university also. So these topics came up quite a bit. You know, when I was younger, I didn't really know how to argue about it, but I thought I'm missing something. Yes, I do like worship. I do like the idea of trying to find higher spiritual ground. And I like that warm, fuzzy feeling when you go to mass, but I always got that nagging suspicion I was missing something. And I think there's a lot of other people that, that feel the same way. So regarding karma... Let's circle back to karma. Yeah. Well, funny you mention that because it always does kind of circle back, doesn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I think most people have an idea of what karma is. You know, if we put good or bad into the world, that is what comes back to us from the universe. Um, I, I think it's pretty commonly understood. However, I do think there's a, a failing to, for many to consider or understand. First of all, karma works on a grand scale, not only on an individual scale, as I've always believed and said, we are, as humanity, we are connected. My actions, your actions, everyone's actions impact each other. We are in the right perspective, almost like one spirit playing out on many individual stages and characters. So through this connection, not only is there personal karma of what I put out, I draw back to me, but humanity as a whole, right on this planet right now, and, and we know how the state of affairs are throughout the world. We are putting that energy out and we are directing mankind, humanity, where it's brothers and sisters, we're heading. It's creating the path. One of the gifts we have is free will. There's a, a divine consciousness. They could interfere and try to redirect us, but we are here to direct the direction of humanity. And that's that's a big part of the entire human consciousness of, of karma. You know, equally, I know you're, you're aware of this, karma spans lifetimes. You know, we talk about past lives. They are so tied together the actions of the past and how they impact the, the present. You know, I, I wrote that Ray, my character, he intends to do as much possible in order to travel light into the next lifetime. I, for instance... Conscious decision, obviously, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I write how my parents in this lifetime and my wife both played the same roles, parents and wife, in other past lifetimes. Now, they were separate, but they were other past lifetimes. And regarding my parents, there are issues which you can read about 
that I needed to face and overcome to gain back my own personal strength and voice. So your past lives, did you discover them through regression therapy or was that through meditation? I was very, at the time, educated on, on the whole idea of past lives. And my wife and I went to a local, very well-respected meditation class, which was basically to teach you and give you the experience of a past life meditation. In learning what I gained there, which was actually recovering the lifetime with my wife in a previous lifetime, and I had some things to make up for with her on that one. <laughs> through the meditation class, it gave me tools that I've even expanded upon that is shared in the book, not only learning through these techniques, how to remember, but also how to overcome and free yourselves of these past experiences and, and ties to the past. I've heard more and more people talk about how they can discover past lives through meditation. I know for some going through a process through meditation to take yourself back. For some, it can come very easily. For others, they may have to work on it. The biggest key to it is letting yourself go, have no expectations, and trust what you receive. If you can get over those boundaries, which is usually self-doubt, then it can flow to you pretty easily. Okay, and the fact that you've never done regression therapy tells me that the meditation route is obviously a good way to get there. Yeah, I mean, I look at it, you can do it for yourself without, without further assistance. In the book, you mention ego is the devil. We don't want to talk about the devil with hooves and, you know, pitchforks. <laughs> How did you come up with that? My writing process was always prior to writing, I would meditate. And I had a large picture of what subjects and topics I wanted to cover, but I would meditate on certain topics and thoughts that I won't claim for my own would come into my mind. And it started to get very intense. I think we'll chat on that a little bit further. And I would, after meditation, write down notes and, and whatnot. But this goes back to being a child where this was one of the big things I really questioned as we talked earlier. And suddenly it just came to me looking at, at words that if you take the story of Adam and Eve and everywhere where they were, where Eve was tempted by the devil and then also brought Adam along for the ride and influenced Adam. If everywhere where that is referenced, the words like devil, Satan, serpent, whatnot, if you simply interject the word ego, it suddenly starts to make a lot of sense. It's something that, that we can all relate to. It gives it a tangible reality in our life here today, rather than this mystical, unknown presence of, as you put it, the, the being with hooves. Okay. And that's a, a very interesting way to look at it. Is the devil purely a construct of our mind? Or do you think it's actually like a fallen angel? No, it's a side effect of being human is the best way I could put it. We have our soul, which is a representation of the divine. We have our heart, which is a representation of our, our human experience of love. But then we also have the ego, which is the part of us that fights for dominance. To It's the part rooted in fear. And through fear, it seeks to dominate others, to hide its fear. It seeks to, I call it even, tricking us in order to manipulate us, to try to overcome its fears through, it could be drugs, it could be shopping addiction. It could be just, I want to be better than you. The ego is the manipulator. So when we pass from this life, the ego is left behind, is it not? Or Correct. is there a residue of past habits, likes, 
dislikes and so on our personality is that carrying over into the next life and if so is the ego part of that or is the ego separate the ego is something separate it's something we develop here in the human experience i've shared that when we are first born we are still retain some of our other side knowledge we, there's still a connection as an infant, as, as a, a very young child. But as we start to learn the words like yes and no, and me and I, I want that toy. You can't have that toy. We develop the ego. In the book, Ray, the character receives inspiration from Jesus. So this brings up the burning question is, how were you able to connect with Jesus and the guides? And can anyone do this? Yeah, that, that's probably the most important to me, at least, subject that we will talk about today. In meditation, as I said before writing, now consider I lay down when I meditate. It's the most relaxing position for me. Just as usual, I'm, I'm meditating. And on one given day, the best way I can explain it is a very heavy, all-encompassing energy came over my entire body, something I hadn't experienced before. And with that, I had to work to stay with it. It was foreign. There was no fear. I know there was no harm. It was just something never previously, this heaviness of energy and weight. Almost like, you know, they talk about heavy blankets for a bed. It was like putting four of them on me at once. And then at one point, finally, almost like a jackknife, considering I'm laying, I sprung up at the waist, my knees flew up, and I'm sitting upright. And then like, almost like someone who's underwater for too long, gasped for air, and the experience was done. That was done in preparation for me. It was, again, then repeated a few days later. And because I was given the time and the opportunity to be exposed to this energy, I was more prepared to receive it. And I, it felt familiar. It came back to me. And the first things I heard was, I am the one you call Jesus. Wow. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. And I think that in itself is so important. I am the one you call Jesus. On the other side, Jesus, as we call him, doesn't relate to himself as that. He's a being, he's a spirit. Yes, he played that role when he was here, but we are so much more. You know, I found it fascinating as the conversations would continue. He used word pronouns interchangeably. I, me, we, us, our, they were all interchangeable from the divine perspective. And I think if you digest that Jesus is a reflection of, as we call God, it also is a sign and a hint to where God is. I think we just opened up, I'm not sure if I could call it a rabbit hole or not, but this will <laughs> most likely be a to be continued because I think we're onto something here. It's really, really important for those of us that really want to put everything together, the universe, the deities, what to believe in, what not to believe in, myths and, and the truth. You're pretty sure that you have had contact with Jesus Christ, in other words. Yes, of his choosing. And why I say that is while I was doing the writing process, I would then meditate. There would be subject matters. And as almost as I'd go to the new chapters, I would be revisited to be given more thoughts or subject matter information. And after the meditation, I would have to get up and have, it, have my tablet and scribe down as fast as I could every thought that was coming out of my head and into my head and put it on paper. Because literally, if I waited an hour later, it would be gone. It would be lost. And I'd have to go back and even try to figure out my own handwriting because I was writing so fast. I'm sure I'm not the first person who told about this experience. Has anyone ever questioned who that being was? 
Could that have been an imposter? I've heard stories about how demons, God forbid, and hope he's listening, have posed as friendly beings and spirits. Has that issue ever come up? I did have one long-term, spiritually very traditional friend who who did question my sincerity, asking me, like, well, do you feel what you're saying is parallel to Jesus' Jesus's teachings in the Bible? Do you feel you have the same authority? He really questioned and came around and said, and quoted me a Bible script of the devil posing as the representation of God and things of that nature. And, and my only response to anybody who says that is, first of all, we can talk about how this has been done over centuries on many different subjects and areas and how it is possible for you to do it for yourself. And, and most importantly, I believe in my soul and my spirit, my intentions, and I'm here to put good into the world. And if I can learn from you and you can learn from me, that, that is my only hope. My desire is to make the world a better place. That's what I'm directed from. And, and I will add one other thing, because I said when he chooses to come to me. So this happened somewhat regularly then through the, the latter part of the writing period session, literally. But since once I was done writing, it hasn't reoccurred continually. There have been times in, in meditation where I would feel his presence. And it was almost like a, hey, I'm just saying hello to let you know that yeah, you're still connected. But we don't have any business today, so have a good day. Kind of, you know, humanizing it. But that was my point and purpose in that moment. To be continued. This is a very interesting subject. Tony, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners, how can they find you online? It's so simple. If you're looking for more information of what I've shared, if you're looking on where to get the book, there's many opportunities. You just go to Tony, T-O-N-Y-R for Raymond. And my last name is Zonka, Z-O-N-C-A dot com. Good. I have that and I have the links to the book as well. I will definitely put that in the show notes. Thanks again. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.